Hi, welcome along to another episode of Man in the Mirror. It's Hayden Williams here, and Man in the Mirror is a podcast where each week I talk to a male guest about their life and work, self-care, self-image, about grooming, fragrance, and what they think of the man who looks back at them in the mirror. Now this week, I'm really thrilled to let you know I'm joined by Ashley Ogawa-Clark, who is a fashion and lifestyle journalist based out in Tokyo. Now I've been looking at Ashley's work and, and seeing his writing for a few years now. There isn't many people, to be honest, in the the kind of lifestyle and, and grooming and skincare worlds who, who write about it. And Ashley's absolutely one of the uh, the top people in in his field. So I've, I've admired his work for a long time. And one of the the great things about the podcast is just reaching out and saying, "Look, would you like to come and have a chat?" and um, we had a sort of introductory chat a few weeks back, and it was it was brilliant. And so Ashley's in in Japan, and I spent some time there, as I've bored on about many times on the podcast. So we had that in common, and it turned out we'd also done the same sort of teaching program in our twenties in Japan. So we had that in common. We also have a love of grooming and skincare. So we had a great chat before we did the podcast, and then set up our, our time to do the actual recording. Um, Ashley's worked at, at titles such as uh, GQ, the Wall Street Journal, Vogue, and Mr. Porter. And um, yeah, I think you're going to find it a really interesting conversation. He's got a real curiosity about quote unquote masculinity, what it, what it means, what it looks like, what it, what it means to him, and almost a kind of, you know, an intellectual approach to it. So we had a really wide ranging and, and fascinating conversation about how he sees his masculinity, what, how he expresses it. Um, so I hope you're going to enjoy this. Uh, my huge thanks to Ashley. It was, it was a real pleasure and a privilege to spend some time with him a couple of weeks ago. So here we go. It's Ashley Ogawa-Clark, who is a freelance fashion and lifestyle and skincare journalist on the Man in the Mirror podcast. I'm Hayden Williams. Let's go. Welcome along to another episode of Man in the Mirror. It's Hayden Williams here. This is your fix of grooming, of skincare, self-care, all those good things. And, and each week I talk to a different guest about their life and, and work. And they tell me a bit more about some of the key items on, on their bathroom shelf. Now, there's, um, there's a journalist that I've followed for a few years and really love his writing. And um, I think if there was ever a sort of Venn diagram of things that really kind of get me going if you've got you know sort of grooming skincare you've got writing creativity and then you add in japan which is bored on about it before on the podcast but i um, spent some time there so if there was this venn diagram then ashley ogawa clark would be slap bang in the middle because he sort of ticks all of those and um yeah he's a fantastic journalist and he's on the line from Tokyo. So hi, Ashley, how are you? Hi, Hayden. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Long-winded, ridiculous way of introducing you. but um, I love it. It's the red carpet. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, like I say, I've I've really enjoyed your writing and, and, you know, one of those rare, rare people, because there isn't really, I mean, there's obviously lots of lifestyle and and fashion journalists, but I I guess you caught my attention because you, you also write about skincare and, and grooming and some of the things that we cover here on on man in the mirror but um as i i mentioned in the intro you're you're now in in tokyo i am so you're but you i guess with with writing you can you can kind of still deliver for for anybody anywhere so what what took you to japan and, and tokyo specifically well it's my it's actually my second time living here so I first lived here in 2015 to 2017 when I did the JET program, which I know that you also did. Yeah. So Ashley and I had a little sort of pre-chat a couple of weeks ago, and I, I, I think I knew this anyway, but uh, it turns out that we both did the same, this JET program where you sort of teach as a, as a, as a foreign teacher, work in the, the Japanese public education system. And I did it many, many years before Ashley, but yeah, a real sort of formative time and something that we we had in common but and then you obviously went back went back again yeah I went back kind of properly so I went back for more because <laughs> I guess like I don't know being here as an English teacher in Japan is a I don't know it, it, there's a lot of um English teachers in in Japan it's it's the easiest way to get into the country 
Yeah. Um, but I think this, and, you know, I think the time when I was here, I was like 20, I think I was like 24. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was, it felt like kind of a long holiday because I don't know. I don't know what it was like at your school. But my no school. real responsibility or anything, <laughs> yeah. was it, really? A lot of desk warming, <laughs> yeah. as they call it. But it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, um, and you're sort of exotic person in the corner, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, sort exactly. of teacher's, teacher's room, like, who's that foreigner? Yeah, what's he doing? Yeah. But you obviously loved it enough to 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 go back. I mean, I'll, we're skipping over a whole bunch of stuff, but... but um, Yeah, we can, we can get to all of it. But yeah, I to cut it short, yeah, I, I came back in September last year. Yeah. Uh, so I got I got married. My wife is Japanese, which made like visas and immigration obviously a lot easier. And then now, yeah, I work from here. And as you said, I can luckily I've got the job where I, I can work absolutely anywhere. And you know, ninety percent of my work is outside of Japan. It's mostly US, UK, Hong Kong. And you know, I mean, the Japanese work environment is uh, famously I don't know difficult to navigate. I think even for Japanese people, it's. Uh, it's punishing yes. from what I hear. A lot of sort of different stratas and layers, isn't there, I think? Yeah. So I get to avoid all that complicated stuff and just live out the nice side of Japan so far. <laughs> and you and you were you were telling me when we, we spoke before you were I think you were out at your wife's family house for a little while that was much more rural, but now you're sort of back in back in the city and back in Tokyo again. So that must feel different again, sort of going from Something that's yeah. a lot more, more tranquil back to, to kind of urban living. So we moved, so we, when we were in London, we lived in, in Dalston, um, just off Kingsland Road, you know, really busy. Yeah, buzzy. And busy, buzzy and grimy and, you know, all the kind <laughs> of great things that London is. Yeah. And um, we were very lucky that um, when we moved to Japan in September, we had a place to stay in. The, it was in the middle of nowhere, completely out, out of the way um, in Kanagawa, which is for people that don't know, is a um, prefecture just um, west of, of Tokyo. Right. But it, um, it's, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, like you said, tranquil. It was brilliant to be there. But, you know, like my wife, Raina, she couldn't, she's a stylist, so she couldn't really work from there. So, and I also, you know, even though I said a lot of my work is in, it's obviously for foreign publications, but I do still interview people in Tokyo and that's where, everything's going on so it made sense for us to move and so we've been in our apartment in um tokyo for like two weeks now settling in yeah so let, let's um kind of re rewind a bit if if you don't mind mm. so i'm just interested in in the, the beginnings really and and obviously you, you write about fashion and say skincare grooming lifestyle travel things like that but when you started off was it do you think it was a, an, an interest more in the sort of process of writing and journalism itself or, or or did your love of it sort of come via the route of fashion and style was there was it sort of one or the other or a bit of a kind of mix i think it came from that classic thing of being good at english at school right um, yeah. which is quite like a i don't know like a traditional like answer that i guess you you get from a lot of journalists it's like that's what i was good at at school and i always thought I wanted to be a writer, whatever that meant. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I thought I'd write like novels and that kind of thing and then quickly realised that that's not necessarily a job that you can... You start you know, with that. <laughs> I've not sold my bestseller yet. So. It, it, it'll happen, you know. <laughs> never say never, but I, um, yeah. you know, I, I thought I, I wanted to write for a living and... Um, yeah, I, I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't know it was going to be fashion. And it's something that I didn't necessarily fall into it. I was very interested in fashion. But it um, it was a, I remember, I think it was like a friend of a friend, had like a, a fashion magazine that I don't even remember the name of while I was at uni. I didn't get paid for it at all. It was just like writing. I actually, I think one of my first articles was writing about Marc Jacobs wearing a dress to the Met Gala. <laughs> really? Um, and, you know, I, so I've always been interested in like masculinity and clothes. And yeah. I think like clothes as identity, I was very fascinated with. And yeah, it's probably very, um, I don't know, <laughs> I think I was I probably really intellectualized it when I went to Goldsmiths in, um, in London, which is. Yes. Kind of, Sort of famous kind of art, art-based yeah. uni, isn't it? Famous for being super arty-farty. But I did, I studied English there, I studied literature there, so 
Didn't Blur go? Didn't Damon Albarn go to Goldsmiths? Yes, he did. And Brian Molko, I think, went there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's got a. <laughs> I don't know. It was. A, I loved it though. I um, moved out, moved to London, to Newcastle when I was eighteen. And, wh- and where did you grow up, Ashley? Where Where was home? So I grew up in Grimsby, which is. So where, where's that if people don't know the geography of... <laughs> we don't know. It's, um, well, people always ask you, like, oh, is that right near Manchester or is that near... It's not near anything at all. It's near, <laughs> it's kind of near Hull. Coastal, isn't it? It's coastal. It's on the east coast. East coast. Just south of yeah. Hull on the um, on the other side of the Humber estuary. And and, and a, a fishing, fishing town, right? It is historically a, a fishing town. And now a very, like, it's a very white working class quite deprived area of the UK. And, but, you know, it was also a very sheltered place to grow up, I'd say. It was not, you know, mm. there's not a lot happening there. And so your, your interest in, in the arts and English and, and fashion, was that nurtured at school? Did you feel like, you know, you were encouraged to do that? Or was that something that you discovered more when you came to, to London? I think it was. I mean, I think, again, it was, it was in my English classes, I think, that I felt... Um, yeah, encouraged, and one of my teachers. So I did. I'd never heard of goldsmiths, and I think my parents were. They like asked my because I. I did. I was. I was pretty good at. I did pretty well at school, and I think my my mum like asked asked my one of my teachers who is. I think I didn't really know how know this at the time, but looking back, she was like a kind of ardent socialist, um, like super left wing teacher that used to tell like tell us that the Daily Mail was a hate rag. Um, which, you know, right, now, now I completely Spot agree. Um, but um, she was the one that said, oh, he should go to Goldsmiths. He'll he'll fit in there. Yeah. Like, a lot of people I went to school with um, are still there now. You know, it's a, it's not necessarily the easiest place to to escape to once you grow up there. So I was quite, I think when I was 18, I knew that I wanted to leave and, and just do other things. And then post-uni, how easy or difficult was it then to plow this this furrow into you know fashion magazines and and writing did you did you do that sort of classic thing of interning somewhere or you know did, what, what was your route into because some of the the, the titles and obviously i mentioned it in the introduction but you've written for vogue and gq and wall street journal mr porter places like that you know they're quite rarefied mm. places to to work what what was the routine I mean, it was really difficult. Hustle. I think. Yeah, hustle. I like looking back. I think it's a, I don't know. It's that miserable thing that you you need luck if you you know if you haven't got the connections or the the kind of safety net. You need a lot of luck. And did you have? Were you sort of connected with people, or was it literally? No, you know, I wasn't. I um, I did it very much from as an outsider, and I don't. Yeah. So I I actually started interning at a um, biannual magazine that I don't know if you'll have heard of called Pony Step. Um, no. It's, it was named after the, the walk that models do on the, on the catwalk. Okay. It was, and it was, right, right. I mean, it was brilliant. We had like Amanda Lepore on the cover. We had like Amir Khan, Jerry Hall. It was oh, very cool. like, it was super like camp and fashion-y. And, One of those really sort of thick biannual things. Like yeah, massive, thick, glossy yeah. things that you'd yeah. get in Selfridges for, I think like fourteen pounds or something, yeah, and it yeah. was it was amazing. But um, I remember my first week there. Um, I was like, I I got a job as a, a fashion intern. Well, a, a job like a, a volunteer position, let's say. Right. Um, and I got a travel card, um, and um, I remember walking to the train station with the with the art director on my first week after work on, on my first week there. And I remember him going to his second job at um, the Breakfast Club, which is like a, you know, like a cafe restaurant in London. Oh, I know. Yeah, in Soho. And I remember thinking like, oh, like, do you go? And he was the art director. So I remember thinking like, um, like, oh, you just have like a second job. Is that just like for extra income? And he was like, babe, that's for my only income. And I said, like, what do you mean? And he said, well, <laughs> we, like, I don't get paid. And I said, like, what do you mean? He said, well, no, nobody does. <laughs> That's when like the penny drops and my like dreams shattered of working as like a, as a fashion writer. Cause I yeah. realized like, you know, no one's getting, no one's getting paid. What are you talking about? It's just the same now though, isn't it? I think. Just, you know, yeah, I think so. Probably worse. I know friends who are you know, stylists and things and, you know, expected on these you know, quite prestigious editorial things, you know, those kind of magazines to do it do it for their portfolio and do it for nothing. Exactly. I guess yeah. it's the same with the staff, isn't it? I know a lot of like 
That's good. <laughs> authentic Japanese background that's my, noise. Ro- that's my robotic bath. <laughs> you, your robotic what? The bath. The bath is the bath runs itself, and oh, my right. wife. It must be like topping itself up. I don't know. I love <laughs> it. Like, I, it's like, like a Clive James yeah. documentary or something. Like <laughs> yeah, it's all very high tech here. But, but yeah, we were talk, talking about um, people doing those kind of magazines for for nothing, just to sort of yeah, and you know, help your CV, I suppose. And I think, and I, I don't know how I survived, but I managed to do that job. I mean, first of all, I, I spent it kind of running suitcases to PR offices across London and, yeah. you know, like precious jewellery and um, <laughs> like fine jewellery running like pearl necklaces back to Nikimoto in, in central London and, wow. you know, try not to leave them on the tube. And <laughs> I just, you know, like awful. Sell them for, for cash. Yeah, like really like tough, hard work, late nights and not getting paid for it. I don't know what I thought I was doing. And were but, you doing um, other work as well to sort of make ends meet? Yeah, I um, so I would take time off. So I worked there full time and I worked at American Apparel at the weekends. Right. Um, in the shop in Covent Garden. I, <laughs> I was always late. It was terrible. So in the end, I started working at um, Morley College in, um, in Lambeth. And I used to like recruit students there. It's like a night school for like people doing like pottery and like languages. How do you recruit? Like, um, sorry, like enroll people. Oh, I see. I just had so, visions of you outside with no, leaflets flies, going. No. Come I'd do like, pottery. I'd put, I'd put like, it would be like middle-class women coming in to do pottery. So I'd put their see. details into the system. That right. Was, like, and it was really well paid. It was like a public. Sounds very um, genteel and lovely. It was quite nice. It was, I was really lucky to get it. Um, it was a... Yeah, it was a, a nice thing to do to then pay through my my interning. But I don't think yeah. I could do that nowadays because rent was a lot cheaper back then. And, and and was there a sort of, you know, was it kind of a gradual step up through, you know, some of those prestigious titles I was talking about? Or, you know, or do you feel like there was a, was there one sort of one moment where, you know, fortune shone down or something happened or, or was it all very gradual? There was a couple of moments that I was, I felt like, Oh my God, like I might just be, because for, for a while it felt like a pipe dream, especially after realizing that nobody got paid. I thought, you know, yeah. but I, so I, I, I worked at Penny Step for, as doing all the suitcase stuff for a few months. And then I, they promoted me to managing editor, which is an incredibly high sounding title for like a yeah. 21, 22 year old that didn't know what they were doing. But I, um, and didn't get paid for it. But I, um, yeah, I learned a lot. And then after, almost a year there I managed to get a job as a fashion assistant at the Daily Telegraph okay that's proper isn't it and it is proper and it was one of those um HR gauntlets where they make you introduce yourself to everyone else in the room and then you have to like do a workshop together and oh. then you have like it like an interview it makes with me cringe thinking editors. about it yeah and then I had it was like I had like I don't know like a day of like induction of or, wow. you know, like a day's worth of an interview with all these other people. And then I had an interview with a couple of editors and then the fashion director. If, I, you know, I got through to the like final stage. Yeah, so you're jumping through hoops of fire, basically. So. Yeah, and I managed to get that job. And I remember them calling me and feeling like I'd been rescued from... Well, I, you know, I, it was the internship, like I said, it, it was great. But I, this was like... A, you can't do that forever, can you? You can't... no. And this was te- in this job at the Telegraph was terribly paid. I think it was like two hundred and fifty pounds a week, and you had to like, fill out this like, sheet every week. <laughs> it's like you know, terrible. It was it, for me. It was like a total saving grace. Of, you know, now I thought when I got that job, okay, it's it's proper. I can make this into a career. Yeah, yeah. And then was it a? Did you go freelance quite quickly, or did you work? Did you sort of work in-house at a bunch of places? So that was when I did the JET program. So I remember I was working there and I remember thinking I'd always wanted to go and and live in Japan. Oh, so you'd, you'd got the Telegraph job? Yeah, because I ah, had this thing oh, where interesting. I thought, I don't know, it, it, since I was a kid, I'd always, I don't know, I, I let's go back a bit and I can like tell you about why I got interested in Japan and why I left the Telegraph. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, growing up in Grimsby, you know, like I said, super white working class, it was kind of devoid of any um, international culture at all. But when I was about 11, I started doing karate that my dad introduced me to do it because he did it when he was younger. And um, it was like, I, my parents 
like bless them, tried to make me do all these extracurricular things. And I hated football and I hated like, I don't know what, they just tried to make me do all these <laughs> activities and I hated it. Um, acting and I don't know. <laughs> Karate was something I I loved it. And it was, I think it was like the, the kind of like, it's the physical sport of it, but then like the mental, like meditative side of it is just, it was just something so different to me and it was so, yeah. for want of a better word, exotic because it was nothing like I'd ever seen um, or experienced. And that kind of kick-started something and then, you yeah. know, to make it, to kind of condense it, then you think about things that I grew up with like Pokemon or like Tekken on the PlayStation and all these things that... Um, and then, you know, as I got older, I yeah. was into like Comme des Garçons and Yoji Yamamoto, the fashion designers... And I remember thinking it kind of clicked. Like, all these things that I like come from Japan. I don't, you know, I want to go there. So um, that was... So it was a long, long-held sort of ambition. Yeah, to, to I just always, I'd always thought about doing it. And I remember one of my lecturers at uni was like, I remember she, her life advice was like, go on the dole and go and um, teach English abroad. <laughs> she said, that's what you should do as a graduate. Which I think is really good advice. <laughs> I see, yeah, it's pretty good. Now, it's interesting that because I went a bit, I kind of rolled from university and then did two years in Japan, which was sort of great in a way because it didn't sort of interrupt any career things. But I really admire that thing. Of, you know, it sounded like you'd, you'd had to hustle pretty hard to to get where you got to and, you know, gone gone through all that to get at the Telegraph and, and then saying, okay, I'm going to hit pause and, and, and sort of explore this interest I've got in Japan, you know. It was a scary thing, but it was um, one of my editors at the time she was a she's a couple of years older than me and um just like a really excellent fashion editor that she was kind of like a mentor kind of figure but she i remember her saying to me like go go and do it now because if you don't you're locked in yeah um and she was i'm locked and she said to me i'm locked in now i i would love to go and live abroad but i can't yeah i i took that advice i suppose it was early enough wasn't it in a way it's not like you'd kind of you know, yeah, gone up through a, different rungs and all. Exactly, and, it, and you know, my it was a it, it's very shaky at that point. But of course, it was scary to 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 leave and think, um, you know, to leave England and to think. But it it, it worked out for the best because when even when I was teaching English in Japan, I very quickly got bored with just doing that and was like, oh my god, I miss kind of fashion and writing. So I very quickly started started writing for I started writing for ID magazine and Dazed and um a few other things and um I didn't know how to like be a freelancer but I started like cold pitching editors and used the kind of very limited network I'd made at my year at the Telegraph and um and made yeah and made a lot of progress in in Japan that first two years round and I was surprised at how I suppose you could use it to your advantage couldn't you in a way that you know you were you were based somewhere different that would you know still in 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 journalism you know you can you can get people to people to do things in different territories but you you were there all the time and I guess you were spotting trends and things going on it was probably great that you were based there and could offer a perspective that some of those editors wouldn't be able to get readily elsewhere exactly and I think I was so like kind of naive and also like i i read some of the pieces that i did in, in like 2016 i'm you know i hate to say it but i'm impressed with that who that journalist was like doing like i i remember interviewing like government officials um i would interview like club kids in in harajuku i yeah i was really like fearless about going and talking to people and i couldn't speak japanese then at all but i managed to made it work managed to make it work and i think that quite quickly got me it, within the first year i was i was covering Tokyo fashion week for vogue runway which was a, a huge um thing for me and also when i was out there I, this was a another one of those like moments where like you said that light that i found of like can i really make this work and it was um i it doesn't exist in the same way anymore but it was the vogue talent contest right i entered it twice First was the year that I was at the Telegraph, and I remember I got the, I remember like I I got the rejection letter the first time to say I hadn't been shortlisted. Yeah. And the next year I did it again, but I was in Japan that time, and I entered it again, and that time I got shortlisted, and um, I was like, 
that was like the best news ever because I don't know the the alumni of that award, um, the shortlisters, the runner-ups, and the winners of, of there's a lot of people in the industry that have gone on to do really good things. So for me, it was like a, yeah, it was just a mark of approval to say like I'm. I'm good enough, basically. It, it yes. was that kind of confidence that it gave me. So I flew... We need those things, don't we? We I do think. need those things, I think, as writers. Sometimes just to get that validation and you're doing the right thing. Yeah, because I think writing so kind of subjective as well um, a lot of the time. But um, so you were, for that, as part of getting shortlisted for that, you won a lunch with all the Vogue editors and all the other shortlisters. So I flew back to London for it, especially... Oh, use amazing. it as an excuse yeah and i won the i won the runner-up prize which is 500 pounds which just about i think paid for my flight <laughs> and, and it was so worth doing and it was um that that was really that cool. was a really like i'm really proud of that even you know it, it's it's funny to be so proud of like a runner-up thing but it was no i totally get it i totally get it that was something that i it just made me feel like i'm you know i'm good enough to, to do this yes. job yeah um, and, yeah, and that I, that opened, I think that inadvertently opened doors, probably because I felt more um, confident more in, your, in your abilities. Yeah, but as you say, it's just, and, and, and I, and not certainly not to the extent that you do, but you know, have some times of doing writing, and it is this, it's the strangest thing, isn't it? Because you're you're all in your own head. You're generally sitting on your own without people to bounce off. I hate, as, I hate it. I hate it's not, it. It's not, it's not, it's not healthy really. I did I don't know. doing it last night and I was sort of just, it wasn't a long piece, but I just, I just took so long over it and just started second guessing myself and it wasn't, it wasn't great. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I relate to that very hard. I am, um, I don't, I don't enjoy it at all. It's that like cliche thing of hate writing, love having written. Um, Cause I, yeah, I don't enjoy writing, but it's something that I don't know. Just it's just what you have to do, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that that moment, which is a fantastic achievement. Can, are there? Is there sort of one other kind of standout you know, person you met, or, or sort of moment in the in your writing career across you know the various titles you've written for? What like a like a highlight? I don't know. Just like, yeah, something that yeah, it's just something that stands out when you when you think about the work at Mr. Porter or GQ or something. You know, is there is there someone you interviewed or something that happened I mean so far I think interviewing when I was in Tokyo the first time around I interviewed Naomi Watanabe for for American Vogue who was I think she still is the most followed person on social media in in Japan so she's like a super Japanese celebrity she's a comedian um and, no, right. and lives in New York now I think but she like interviewing her was like a I don't know it felt like a, a big thing yeah and it was she was really nice and it was fun to, we went to like the Park Hyatt in, in Tokyo. Oh, with the Lost in Translation Yeah, yeah, one, yeah. And it was, I don't know, she's yeah. like so famous that even in Japan, you know, she had to kind of be quite covert. And it was just all very fun to right. like meet her and go and talk to her in a hotel room. But so that was a, a fun thing. And then, I don't know, being back in London afterwards and like interviewing like Drews Van Noten was a, a particular highlight. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah. I was, I was thinking about this and like, you know, what are the good, good things? And honestly, the, the best part and the most kind of important part I feel about my job is, is interviewing um, Japanese designers and especially young Japanese designers. Um, and this, this last, when, it, when was it? In March, um, the Tokyo Fashion Week and, and kind of being back here and this time being back with a bit more command of Japanese and, and being able to interview a lot of these designers and 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 my my wife actually credit to her helped me with a lot of the interviews translating and yeah. interpreting and getting to talk to like those young designers that aren't famous and aren't established you know in most cases can't speak english so don't know how to kind of market themselves abroad but really you know want to be they're really really talented but yeah. Nobody knows yeah. their stories. So that that was like incredibly with loads of potential. Incredibly rewarding to be able to talent spotting nice and early. Yeah, that's like a that's something that I find like genuinely rewarding to to do. That's like my favorite part of, of the job. That's a joy to do. Oh, I love it. Well look, we you know, we talked about some of the different things that you cover. Obviously, fashion we've talked a little bit about, but um, you know, you you often write about skincare and grooming. So I do. The, the, the the fact that you know, one of the key things on on the podcast is to ask the guest about some of the sort of key bathroom essentials. I mean, I'm really looking forward to 
finding out what, <laughs> what you're using. I suspect it might be quite a big shelf, but um, you know, and obviously you're you're fortunate as I am sometimes to you know people send you different things. So um, yeah, really intrigued to to find out about some of the products that you're using your morning and evening routine at, at the moment. So yeah, I mean, should we start with skincare? Are you, are you kind of set on a certain yeah. number of products, certain brands, or do you kind of mix it up according to what comes comes through the letterbox? Absolute chaos with skincare. So oh, I, yeah. I'll preface well, Just this trying a bunch by... of different things. <laughs> yeah, I'll preface this by saying that, so I, I worked at, at Mr. Porter as an editor there um, and did a lot of of grooming content for them. I did yes, that for five I years. I think I saw your work there. Yeah, and I I did that for for five years in London, um, and that was and as you know, when you're a, an editor and you write about skincare, you can basically get whatever you want with the understanding that you write about it. And we're not talking diamonds, no, are we? We're, we're talking often talking. Well, about, I mean, do you know what? A, a ten pound moisturizer. I've got but, a you know, I've got a diamond serum. Um, <laughs> genuinely, <laughs> genuinely, we are we are sometimes talking diamonds. Um, but I'll, I'll preface this by saying that yeah, so some of these things are. Um, I wouldn't necessarily. I couldn't necessarily buy them with my own money, but I. Well, because of the cost. Yeah, we're because of the cost. High value. Because yeah. of the cold hard cost, I I couldn't. Um, one of my favorite serums is um, by One on One Skin, and it, it, it's called the Celestial Black Diamond, and it serum, and it does actually have oh God. diamond particles in it. And it's, I, I don't know if if that actually, it, apparently it, it they penetrate deeper into the pores because the particles are so fine, but um, I don't know if that's a, you know actually works or not. But it is a very good serum, but I, it's north of like two hundred pounds, I think. Whoa. I don't know exactly, but it, you know, it's silly money, but it is, it's one of those things where I think, you know, if I was very wealthy, I would absolutely buy it for myself rather than just get sent it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, what, what, what about what are you using at the moment? And yeah, if you could run, okay. run through, it'd be great. So I'm at the moment, so I've had to, I had to edit down quite a lot because I, and a lot of brands won't send to me in Japan because it's so far away. So I've edited down quite a lot. So now, it's a little bit less chaotic. Okay. But I've been using um I've been using a brand called Tatcha, T A T C H A. Oh, okay. Um, which is it's based in I think it's an American based brand, but it's like Japanese inspired. Right. So I cleanse with their like cleansing oil and they have like a rice polish exfoliator. Have you seen that in London, Ashley? Is that in, in the UK? Is yeah, that is? It was um I don't I don't even know if it's a thing in Japan, but it's a thing in the UK. Right. It's quite popular there. Yeah. Maybe more in the women's realm, but it's like a skincare nerd brand, I guess. <laughs> um, but it's it's really it's really good. Um, so I I cleanse. It's like a double cleanse thing. Yep. So you cleanse with the oil to get like you know get into the pores, and then then with the rice polish, like exfoliate afterwards. It's really good. And then what else have I been using? I'm big fan of um, so SPF is really big in Japan. Yeah. Um, so an SPF moisturizer. So I, there's a, one of my favorite SPFs to cheapen things or make things a bit more affordable. Um, it's from Muji. I don't know if they have it in the UK. Maybe they do, but, um, you know, Muji. Yeah. 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 Home store. Yeah. So they do great skincare. It's really affordable. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think there's, I think the skincare's in the UK ones as well. Yeah. I think, I think there is. I don't know if it's quite as the range is probably slightly edited. Yeah. It's probably more limited, isn't it? You get the like SPF here and it's really great. So I use, I use that like every day. And is it is that is that a pure SPF or is it a sort of moisturizer come SPF or is it does it just do the SPF job? It's I think it's probably all in Japanese, so I have no idea. But it, um, it's like a um, it's like a moist, it's like an SPF milk, I think it's called. Oh, okay. But it's it, it's quite good. I'm very pale, so I need it. And then on if I I also use um, the Grown Alchemist, um, which I yeah. think is an Australian brand, but in, has it in the UK. It does. Um, yeah. They. Um, their facial SPF is excellent. It, it goes on white, but it very quickly melts into the skin. Right. And I think that's probably the best facial SPF I've used. And then um, I, what else do I use? Susanna Kaufman is a very good, she, she's a, it's, I can't remember exactly where it's from. I think she's Austrian. Let me just double check. I've heard of the brand. I haven't, I haven't had any. I've met her. I've heard the name. She's brilliant. But she's um Is she? Yeah, she is. Um so she has like a she's from like a, a hotelier dynasty in Austria. And she makes like this great like wellness skincare brand. And um 
yeah, her her day cream is brilliant. What's the product? Day, day cream. And but yeah, I what I've been using at the moment is the night. She has like a night serum, and then it's a night cream uh, to follow it. That is like right. it smells really good. It's just like you wake up feeling really like moisturized. And what about what about sort of shaving? Yeah, do, do you are you a sort of daily shaver or do do you leave it? So this is an interesting one. I am a um, I'm a laserer. So are you? I um, yeah. I started in in went in London a couple uh, just before the pandemic, where I so I get or I did get shaving rash and I have quite sensitive skin but quite thick um facial hair right but not it not kind of good enough to grow a beard it's really annoying it's like kind of non yeah yeah <laughs> like non-entity on my face so it um it, so I so would it be patchy um, like if you left it all together would it have just come out in yeah like it's like bits? a it was like black and then brown and blondy and I don't know I I never really let it get long enough because I never mm. wanted it to but I so I, got, so I decided to get rid of it because I, I knew I um, I knew I never wanted it that's really interesting I haven't spoken to anyone who's, who's done, done sort of lasering for that so what's what's the setup with that weirdly rare I think I went to some you know as I say you usually when you're in this line of work you can get things for free but this was something that I just sought out on my own and went to do in, in a clinic in London and is it like a permanent thing then you don't have to do well, it again I wanted it to be, but um, the pandemic kind of happened and I couldn't go for like months. And then it, it really hurts, by the way. I had it. Does it? Like really, I don't know if it was the particular one that I had, but it was like really painful, surprisingly so. The laser's got to cover off, you know, do you go and have different zones of the sort of, you know, chin and cheeks and things? Is that how it works? Just get this sort of fire yeah. different bits? They basically, they put your, you lay on the, on the like, on the bed and then they put the like glasses on you so the light doesn't yeah. zap your eyes. And then they like zap, go around and zap your chin and your neck and your upper lip and it, it, yeah, it hurts. <laughs> it, it works, but it takes like a few, a few goes. And I'm at the point now where I haven't, I didn't have it done for like, I wasn't as um, consistent with it as I should have been. So now right. it's kind of like, it's kind of half back and I'm thinking about getting it done over here. And, and how, when you go for a session, how long do you sit there and have the zapping? So it's like 10 minutes, but 10 oh, minutes okay. of torture. <laughs> God, it's not awful. Um, and they, I, but I don't know, I think I'd prefer that to like, I don't know, I'm quite like coldly efficient if it, if it means, if it means not having to, to shave. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can kind of, I can take it. And it would be, you know, as in normal kind of laser removal, it would be perfectly smooth, would it, on your... Well, I it, mean... That's the idea. Yeah, but I... It has, it isn't. It isn't perfectly smooth. Um, but it's just, it's like heavily reduced, so it feels like... I, I still shave now. I shave with an electric Philips razor that's just from that Amazon. Yeah. But I, um, I shave maybe like yeah, a couple of times a week. Right. And what about what about fragrance, Ashley? What's your um, what's your relationship with fragrance? Are you, are you someone that's sort of quite loyal to a specific scent, or do you do you have a, a scent wardrobe? Or I'm way too like um, fickle and um, <laughs> flighty for that. I'm I'm yeah. I, love... I think also why why <laughs> limit it to? I mean, there's so many amazing fragrances. Why do you exactly have one? exactly? I like the idea of I like the idea of having a signature scent, but it's just not. I don't know. I'm not that committed. Mm. I um I love um like dramatic kind of weird things. I think I like. Them. Do you? Do you go sort of deeper, darker? Yeah, or? I quite like a. Well, it, it depends. Like I'm very like on the mood, but I like a very I like a very like expensive smelling. But I think that's the thing. I think that's such a thing like an expensive smelling smelling fragrance that's like. Which again, I was very spoiled with my job of like my favorite, yeah. my favorite. Mr. Porter had some good ones. Yeah. What What are you liking at the moment? So one of my favorites are that I always use are the weirdest one that I love is um is by Timothy Han, who is a a London based perfumer. Yes, um, I've seen his things in Earl of East. I think. Yeah, he bases his sense on books, which is so pretentious. Yes, I that's just right. I just love yeah. it. He love it, and um, <laughs> I love it, and not because it's has the japan connection but um his the one that i love is called decay of the angel inspired by yuki Mishima book and um oh. it's like 
don't even know how to describe it. It's just like, it's almost like medicinal, but quite like, like dark floral, kind of churchy. Yeah, like, nice. It's quite like dentisty somehow. It's it's really strange, but I just <laughs> I just love it. It's like I'm making. I'm not selling it well, but it, it it smells amazing, and I use that for like that's like a kind of going out, dressing up kind of fragrance. And then one of my other favorites is one I use for my wedding, which is um, it's by Maison Francis Kirkshan, who I think is yep. I think genius. They make my favorite fragrances overall, and it's called Petit yeah. Petit Matin, right? Like little Morning. And it's just, it, that's, that's a lot lighter and, and fresher and a lot less, it's a little bit more accessible, but I, that's, that's yeah. like delicious. I love that. Yeah. Um, so those are my kind of, it's my go-tos. Have you been introduced to, I'm sure you have, I mean, you, you mentioned Muji obviously already, but have you been introduced to lots of new brands since you've been back in Japan? As a, I guess there's a whole range that some of which we get here and some of which we don't maybe all the sort of Korean ones and Japanese ones, there must be tons right if you've got an interest in that area there are a lot out here um but i'm terrible that i've got a lot of like swag from the uk that i'm working the worst working through that gotta get through that first <laughs> i've got a lot of like dennis gross and um wow. that kind of stuff that i really like using so i haven't yet i haven't yet gone deep in into um japanese skincare but there's a lot of like i mean my wife's like is religiously uses sheet masks every night. Does she? So, yeah. Um, and I've kind of started. So there, there's a brand called Lulu Lun, which is, is L-U-L-U-L-U-N. Right. Um, which is like a pretty like widely available brand here. And they do like, they're really good for sheet masks. And um, I used to think, well, they don't really do anything. But if you use them every night, they do. And you leave it on all night? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, you, I suppose you could. You leave it on for like 20 minutes. Oh, right. They're pretty, they're pretty good, but you, in Japan, you get like the bumper packs of like 50. So you use, you know, they're intended to be used regularly. Right. They're just like wet wipes that you put on your face. Okay. But yeah. I think I saw you post about it and and, because there's, there's ones that are even more sort of technically advanced, isn't there now? All these sort of lights in them and all that kind of stuff isn't there that kind of oh, thing was, well? well dennis gross has like an led mask that's that, it it's really good um and then again one 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 skin the london-based skincare brand they do um they do excellent masks they do eye masks as well they're like gel kind of they're they're quite like um i think they're like kind of like silicon type consistency so they're not like paper um but they they like they're genuinely excellent and they, they're the kind of thing that you put them under your eyes and you actually notice the difference afterwards. Right. But again, you know, you have to use them. You have to be consistent. <laughs> yeah. So I was interested, all, all the years you've been writing about skincare and grooming things, I mean, have, have you have, have you seen lots of changes in terms of how men are kind of receiving this information now? Do you think, do you think we're sort of more, men are kind of more open to this whole world? Have you, have you found this sort of yeah there's less resistance now or is it is it changing what, what are, are people sort of asking you to write about different kind of stuff or i think yeah there's a huge um and i think it's something that like you know anyone with a brain could see a mile coming that um it's it it's really expanded and, and people have become yeah. much more open-minded about it yeah and i think you know it's a very very it's a super complex thing. I think hand in hand, it, it goes with insecurity and um, and social media and expectation to look a certain way that I think, um, yes. you know, as women, um, like the plastic surgery boom, like whenever that was like, what, like 20 years ago when everyone was talking about that in the media, I yeah. think, you know, that's obviously like slowly but surely transferred over to, to men and there's that, and we have that pressure as well now to, you know, you read about like people who work in high powered jobs and they have to look, yeah. at, you know, they have to like maintain a certain, I guess, American psycho-esque level of um, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, appearance to make them look like they've got their shit together, which I, so they're, and that's the, I mean, that's the dark side of it. But yes, I see a huge appetite for it that wasn't there when I started doing this stuff. You, you're right though, aren't you? Because I think, you know, say on, on the one hand, people like you and I, and I I'm, I'm really happy that men are kind of more interested in this conversation and more interested in, you know, the products themselves and, and of course wanting to take care of themselves. But I guess, like you say, there's a kind of 
flip side of that as well, isn't there? That you end up sort of taking on some of the same pressures that women have had for a long time about, you know, yeah. you can't or you could possibly take those things on of feeling I need to look a certain way or, you know, being, feeling like people you're seeing on social media that, you know, you don't look like them and you want to and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, men are not immune to that stuff anymore, are they? No, I think especially not. I think especially with like, um, like men wanting to like, get be really built and like have a certain body and you know like men taking steroids or like people taking ozempic that that like weight loss drug yes um, yeah. which yeah. is you know trending it's i don't know there's obviously that like horribly dark side to it but then on the flip side i think it's it's what i like is that um you know we're more open to there's a the other side of it that's that's um often abused the way we talk about it but like self-care and um, mm. like, you know, take, there's nothing wrong with taking care of your skin. And I have always been very, um, I've always felt that that was like a natural thing to, to want to do. And it's, uh, and I've, I always rejected the, the idea that it wasn't something that a man should do. I, so I think mm. that idea that wearing makeup or, you know, putting on a sheet mask or something, the idea that that's feminine, I think is rooted in misogyny and homophobia and you know like not wanting to be like feminine and not wanting to be like a woman and i think yeah me i'm i'm I someone that's agree. i'm someone that's always been quite feminine and for whatever reason i've been always been quite comfortable and confident in that which i feel very lucky to be but mm. i never i think that is a positive thing when when men can can take you know take something from it and and enjoy you know enjoy, enjoy like the softer side of of, of being human and enjoying like you know a fragrance or a, the way a moisturizer feels i think that's a, that's a nice totally. thing totally uh, yeah i think the, the more people we can expose to the you know the, the the pleasures around that and how it can make you feel good i mean yeah i don't you know i, I get it obviously you can still encounter those the kind of sort of basic ideas sometimes oh it's not very manly or whatever but yeah. it, just, it does seem slightly ridiculous doesn't it in 2023 that you anyone would have to justify what they do or what they use to make themselves feel feel good and uh, why it's not so weird though it's such like a it's such like a dichotomy like if you look at like what the um i don't know in the uk especially like what um what the male ideal is it's like i guess it's like the love island contestant mm. but that is a very extreme um preened uh, yeah. image of uh, yeah. like a male you know yeah it's it's like sort of hairless and, and tattoos and, and all that isn't it yeah, it's very like um, enhanced, and it's like it's like drag, you know. I think it's like a specific kind of, of drag. Yeah, you're right, and um, it's it's interesting how you know we watch some of those shows occasionally with our son, who's nearly fifteen. And sort of, it's weird how kind of uniform, as you say, the, 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 all those guys, well, and the women, but looking at the guys, it is they're all they're all built the same way, and they all have, mm -hmm. you know generalizing massively obviously you know often a, a whole <laughs> sleeve of tattoos and you know they kind of work out in the same way so yeah it's just sort of these identikit men and it's say it is interesting an interesting dichotomy where you know in some ways there's still this sort of resistance to looking after yourself and looking good yet actually that yeah there's a whole bunch of people who are, are doing it in quite a sort of extreme way but it's done generally through you know the gym and working out and all of that kind of yeah. stuff but that's that's somehow but it's all the same it's all the same stuff yeah, exactly I think yeah exactly somehow that's okay but i don't know it's uh, strange and and now being based in in japan i mean i guess you've got another perspective there as well i mean do do you sense do you do you ha do you have an idea of you know sort of mas masculinity and, and what feels like you know an idea of what a, a modern man in japan is because i again i'm, I'm going way back to the mid nineties, but as, as I think we discussed pre previously on a, on our chat, you know, it, certainly then, so, we, you know, we're talking mm -hmm. 30 years ago, quite traditional setup in terms of, you know, quite often the, the, there were less women working then. I'm sure that's changed a lot now, but you know, quite traditional gender roles in, in Japan when I was there. But I, I wonder, has that, has that changed? And is there a kind of new, modern man in in japan now is it still is there still sort of remnants of that i mean it's so it's like i guess it's a big question it, it, it is but let's tackle it because it's a fun one i think it's a okay, okay. but yeah i'm not i'll preface this by saying this is from my own um 
you know, this is completely from my own view. I'm not, uh, I'm not like going to be like a total anthropologist about it. Um, but yeah. I, um, so when I was on the train uh, a couple of days ago, there was a, a good example of this. So I saw there was an advert for some lipstick and it was like a woman with like, you know, the fan blowing her hair everywhere. And she was like putting on this like juicy red lip. Yeah. And then there was a guy in the advert doing the same thing. And the advert was for this lipstick that was apparently like completely genderless and it was more of like a lip gloss, I yeah. guess, but... I so thought, there was, it, it was played completely straight. It wasn't like the guy was taking the mic or anything. Like he, no, he, no, no. Just the guy enjoying just like his a lipstick as well. Completely serious cosmetics advertising. Yeah. Advert. Um, and it was, yeah, I thought that was a really good example of like where we're at with like beauty standards in Japan for both men and women. Yeah. Which I think is a very different thing to like, um, Japan is like, I think it's got a pretty shameful, uh, it's quite low down on the gender equality scale. Like in terms of Still. Like, in terms of women in positions of power and things like that, mm. it's, it's, mm. uh, so it's not like it's not like the gender binary is less enforced here. It's just that mm. it's like in terms of um, like beauty expectations, it's really different. So men and for I mean, this is something that I personally find quite. This is something that I don't know. I, it's a it's a funny one for me because I'm I grew up always being quite like feminine and like I said for whatever reason being like totally comfortable and almost like obnoxiously so in in kind of being <laughs> being like not militant about it yeah like like you know being like girlier than the other boys but like yeah it was something that I I don't know and in England I always felt like like a pressure to be a certain way I, I guess and in Japan I but did did that ever I mean, you say, you know, and I really admire that kind of that strength there, but did did that ever get you in situations where, you know, you're being yourself, but knowing that might get you beaten up or Absolutely. get yourself in trouble? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I experienced a lot of homophobia growing up, which is interesting because I'm, you know, technically identify as a straight man yeah. at the same time yeah. as, as never really identifying with other straight men. Um, yeah. And, and I guess it's sort of, there is, I can't imagine there's time in those encounters to kind of explain the, the nuances of it or that just someone's punching you and that you're going down or you're fighting or whatever, but it, it doesn't get particularly academic, does it? <laughs> no, exactly. And I, and you know, and when you're like 14, you don't know how to articulate that kind of thing. So no, I, I think I, but for whatever reason, I was always really like, um, I never felt like I was bullied because I was always really probably like arrogant with it and never like I don't know I didn't take any shit from from people at school and I don't know why because I'm you know I'm small and skinny and <laughs> not not good in a fight but um I I just I don't know where it came from I just wasn't scared of and I, I was always sure of myself but it's always but it also you know it hurt a lot when you get like what hurts the most in that kind of situation is when you get friends or and some of the worst um, think like gay men who tell you that you're gay, um, or like or people who you know acquaintances who like they say, oh, you'll be you'll be gay when you're older. I always found that like incredibly patronising, and um, yeah, like you know me better than me. Kind of yeah, thing. and you know, in some cases, I think that that's the reality for people that people knew they were gay before they were, but for me, it was never it was never like that, and. Yeah, it was a, but it was a weird thing to, it's a weird thing to experience. Even now, I think there's a, it's a difficult thing, you know, can you, can I truly experience homophobia in the same way that a gay man can? No, but then I can still mm. experience it in, you know, in my own way. I guess if you, if you're sort of breaking it down and, you know, that, that situation where, you know, I don't know, someone's wanting to punch your head in or abuse you or whatever because they perceive you a certain way, the kind of the, the um, the intricacies of whether they're right or wrong it doesn't make any difference does it you that's what you're you know you're still experiencing the same punch in the head or whatever yeah. it, or the same the abuse same, or whatever the same it remark is so on I, the street or you know but it, it's I don't know it's something that um I don't know it's something that I I thankfully don't really think about much anymore which is nice um and what I was going to say was that being in Japan is um, there are just not those expectations to be that kind of like what I would say is like more like toxically masculine. There aren't those expectations yeah. here. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you can be a bit like. And is, is, is that because is that because 
in being, again, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but being a Western male, you're sort of othered and different anyway, or is it because you think as a society, it's kind of less about certain, you know, definitions of masculinity and maleness? I think honestly, it's both. Because I think being like a white guy in Japan, you're, you are, you're immediately different. To yeah, you're different else. and often in and again we chatted about this before there's some guys in you can really see it go to their head and it almost you know you get this sort of tiny little glimpse of what it might be to be really handsome and famous be like <laughs> to be kind of a little bit significant and famous just because you happen to be a bit taller and you know a, a western male but um it's a kind of dangerous road isn't it i think but yeah you're 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 different and i'm i'm only like five ten or something but yeah, i remember is that sort of classic thing of being in Japan and being sort of the tall person <laughs> no, on I'm, I'm a train or a bus or something? I'm shorter than you, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not really. I'm still like yeah, here. I'm like average height, um, so, and it and it's more like I don't know. It's a it's that feeling of like I think other people. It's difficult because you know people people complain a lot about like how Japanese people treat like foreigners, but it, I. I don't ever take it to, I don't know, I never like, it, I never get offended by, by you know, someone treating you slightly differently because you're a foreigner. Um, but it's, it's mm. something that I'm, I don't know, it's something you're made conscious of, I think. But it's, so, you know, to go back to talking about like, like being a man here, I think I'm seen as, I'm first and foremost perceived as a foreigner before anything else. So it, yeah. which, which yeah, I that's think... that's the first sort of layer of yeah, it. Yeah, which I think... Um, that blurs things to people probably. But then at, at the same time, on top of that, like I said, there was just less expectation here to be a certain kind of way as, as a man or in, in the way that it is in, in the West. Definitely. It's just, it's just very different. And it's something that here, I, I genuinely feel more at ease as a, the kind of man I am um, here. And, uh, you know, I can't articulate all the nuances of, of that, but that's, that's the kind of like general vibe I feel. Well, look, we, we, we're talking about appearance and how we how we sort of perceive our, ourselves, which takes me very neatly to this this idea of you know what, what what do you see when you when you look at the man in the mirror? You know, I, I wonder. Some of it, I guess we've we've covered, but are you you're obviously someone that you know takes takes care of your appearance and you use the the masks and, and expensive skincare and all that stuff? But did do you like do you like what you see? Are you happy with what you That say? is such a hard question, isn't it? I um, some days, yeah, absolutely, and some days, absolutely not. Um, I are you hard on yourself? Do you think? Yeah, I'm really hard on myself. I think in every aspect of my life, I'm very hard on myself with work and probably how I look. Um, I, but I'm not. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm satisfied, but I wouldn't say I'm dissatisfied. If that makes sense, it's a very yeah, it's a very like happily in the middle, intangible <laughs> thing. <laughs> Uh, but I, you know, I don't have a a problem per se with anything at the moment. But, you know, let's see. I don't know how well, what, what I was, I mean, something that I, my own kind of like, when I say my own attractiveness, I don't mean to say that, that, that I'm attractive. It's just like my, you know, my own. Yeah, no, I get it. My own like looks are, because I'm like, in England anyway, pretty short and, um, and like quite feminine. I think I've always like traded on being like kind of cute. Mm. That's kind of my, that's like my brand of like look, I guess. But yeah, I think that's very associated with youth. So I think as I get older, I'm quite scared at how I'm going to age out of that because what comes after that, is it just like, I don't know. <laughs> it's <laughs> It's like, it's what the gays on the internet called twink death, um, <laughs> which I think I've probably already gone through. But, you know, it's like you, oh you lose your like, you lose yeah. your like youthful glow and cuteness. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, how old are you, Ashley? How old are um, you? I'm 31 at the moment. Um, so, I mean, I think if I could say, I think you're, you, you do have a very, a very young look, you know, you are quite youthful, yeah, aren't you? I was thinking... Well, my mum, who's visiting at the moment, she was telling me today, like, you look like a teenager. She mean that as a compliment? And I, 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 I don't think so. But, <laughs> um, Thanks, mum. Yeah, I do. I'm always up really young, so I'm worried that, you know, is that going to kind of fall off one day? But interesting then that you've, um, 
and I, I know you, you discussed why you did it, but you know that sort of youthful look. You you were kind of almost keen to to accentuate even more with with the lasering of the hair and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that's because it like it suits me, or I think it does. It fits into that because it's like a, a beard doesn't suit me. I don't I don't see a future where it would. So yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Let's see, let's see what happens. But at the moment, I'm tentatively okay with the man in the mirror. We'll um, we'll revisit (laughs) Ashley in uh, 20 years' time and see if she's (laughs) still happy with this cute look. And and the the final thing, it's been so interesting to to find out more about about you and and where you are in life. But just, I wonder what, what are the things that make you happy and bring you joy? I think, like, I don't know, this is really cheesy, but my wife is like, brings me like a lot of a lot of joy cheese, yes um i think amazing we like it's a good thing yeah we we have like a i think i'm i'm incredibly lucky that we we met um i think we met for the first time when i was on jet program in japan right very long time ago i was reporting on a fashion show she was one of the street cast models in the show and i met her at an after party we didn't talk, we couldn't speak to each other because I couldn't speak Japanese and she couldn't speak English. Mm. But then she moved to London a couple of years later and fast forward to now where we got married in um, 2021. And, and you'd sort of kept in touch in, in the meantime. Like, did she, did she come to London? Were you part of the reason? I wasn't part of the reason, no. She came to London for work and right. messaged me to say that she was here oh, and okay. I said, let's meet up and we just oh, hit cool. it off. And um, yeah. She was in Paris for our first year of our relationship, but um, right. But I'd imagine as well, Ashley, that you know, with you being in in Japan and, and and now in Tokyo, I guess you need that you need that relationship to be pretty strong because I've, I've, I've no doubt you're building a good network of you know friends and colleagues there. But it's it's a little bit different, isn't it? It's not like you've got people there from you know the last 30 years of your life so that relationship with your partner is probably I, I don't I don't know but I would imagine you spend quite a lot of your free time together do you do you think you, you maybe more than yeah, you might if you were I mean, here in in the UK we're both we're both freelance now so our we spend like way too much time together probably yeah, I'm at home too but much it seems now to, as well. <laughs> it seems to work I mean and you know she like like you said it, she's a big support for me here in in japan but yeah. I, I did the same for her when we were in when we were in london yeah yeah and um yeah i think we you know we she's got me work before i've got her work before because we because we, we work in you know vaguely the same industry so yeah um yeah it, it works well and, and she's she's great and yeah we we, I mean, we spent all of lockdown together as well and didn't get sick of each other, so... That's good. It's a testimony <laughs> to a, a, a relationship that's working. Oh, look, it's been so great to talk to you and, um, yeah, really, really interesting to, to hear about, um, you know, the various projects you're, you're doing and, and obviously to hear about the, the bathroom essentials and the, and the products that, that you rate. So I'll, I'll mention some of those in the programme notes so that people can go and check them out and check out. 200 pound diamond encrusted moisturizers or whatever but (laughs) But i've I've loved chatting and um it's it's been really great to connect and um i'll obviously put links to where people can find out more about you and your 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 articles as well but look take care and thanks for doing this in the evening in 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 tokyo and um yeah look hope to connect again soon thank you hayden it's been a pleasure good to speak to you ashley take care i love talking to ashley um Really enjoyed his company, and I hope you'll agree that you know some brilliant products he was talking about there, but also his his angle on on masculinity and and what it means. So huge thanks to Ashley. Um, if you want to find him on Instagram, you can. It's Ashley Ogawa Clark, which is all one word, and it's A S H L E Y O G A W A. C-L-A-R-K-E. It's Ashley Ogawa Clark with an E on Instagram. You can see the articles he posts for places like Vogue and um, Wall Street Journal on his uh, on his channel. But um, yeah, well worth a follow. So huge thanks to Ashley. If you want to find out more about Man in the Mirror, you can do on Instagram. I'm at Man in the Mirror Pod. Um, you'll find information about previous episodes, some 
uh, teases about what's coming up and um, that's where I post links to, to new shows and uh, where you can find out about the world of Man in the Mirror. So I'd love you to give us a follow and, and have a look over there. Thanks to Ashley. Thanks to you for listening and I'll see you next time on Man in the Mirror. Take care.